0: Welcome to a new world of entertainment. The ultimate film and television podcast featuring Mike Winkler, Daniel English, from Condiment Games, Jeremy Larson. Jason Kabasek and Martin Houston. Created by Friends. We feature in-depth podcast discussions. Interactive Facebook Live episodes. Celebrity Interviews. Subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode. Every story has a beginning. (laughs) Discover the origin of evil. Why are you back here, Claire? Your conspiracies weren't true when we were kids. They're not true now. We need to expose Umbrella. Watch this. I'm afraid, Claire. I'm afraid of what they're gonna do to this town. You see, Umbrella, they had an incident. I'm talking Chernobyl, if you know what I mean. People are getting sick. Let the world know what's really going on. When if I I'm a lot feel still. We have to contain this. Trying to get up there. Shall we go? Doing here. This is where they're experimenting on him. We should split up. City. Hello everyone and welcome back in to the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews podcast. Mike Winkler here with you today for a special Thanksgiving episode. Last night I got the chance to see the new video game adaptation reboot of the Resident Evil franchise, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. I have to say I was actually pretty excited for this film Um, I know a lot of people are not a fan of the Mila Jovovich Resident Evil films for a lot of reasons, uh, that they didn't focus enough on the horror aspect of the games and went too action-y with everything, um, the fact that it wasn't 100% loyal and didn't follow the games the way they should have, but at the end of the day, I felt as though those Resident Evil films did accomplish one thing, they were entertaining, And I know for some people, it probably wasn't entertaining, and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, like I always say. But I enjoyed those films for what they were. I liked the story. I liked uh, the direction that it went. Uh, There was only one film in that franchise that I really didn't care for 100%, but I have to go back and revisit it, because I don't think I've seen it since uh, the theater. Uh, And that was the fifth film, Resident Evil Retribution. I felt like the film served more as a a filler in between Afterlife and the final chapter, and it just kind of felt like it was unneeded. Or, oh, sorry, it wasn't needed, because it just felt like that everything they tried to do in that film really didn't need to be uh, done in uh, the final chapter. So that's the one film in that in that franchise that I just didn't really care for, but it deserves a rewatch. In my opinion, it might change. I, I don't know if it will or not, so we'll see. But Welcome to Raccoon City. I... I always said it would have been really nice to get a Resident Evil adaptation that would have been loyal to the games. Uh, the first game is so hauntingly scary, and then you have the second, the second game that's a little bit more so, uh, goes more the action route, but it still has its horror aspects. And I got to play the Resident Evil 2 remake game for the uh, for the Xbox one when it came out and I absolutely loved it. I thought the atmosphere was creepy it was scary going through the police station down the hallways hearing zombie noises and creature noises throughout then they just pop up and you feel contained and and uh, claustrophobic in those hallways And I always thought that it would be really cool to get a Resident Evil film that would that would go that direction that that would, be able to capture the aspects of being claustrophobic in a hallway and feeling and he, feeling, feeling scared and, and hearing all the noises and feeling a chill down your spine. And that's the one thing that I felt like the Mila Jovovich films did not accomplish. The first film felt like it was going a little bit in that horror type of way, and then the second film started going a little bit more away from it towards action, and then after the first two films, it just kind of went the other direction and just started going towards all action, and even though I found that entertaining, I was disappointed that they didn't continue to go the the horror route, and it was very, very saddening that they just felt like, oh, the horror aspect is not going to drive this franchise, people want zombies' heads blowing off, and Mila Jovovich doing all these crazy stunts. I don't know where where they went wrong with that, or why they felt like that was a better idea than than to capture the horror aspects of this game franchise. So when I heard they were going to make this film, th- the film was actually um, was actually announced around the time uh, the final chapter was being uh, was getting ready to come out we were hearing about uh, a reboot and that it was gonna be more loyal to the games and such so, According to Wikipedia, pre-production actually on this film started in early 2017 while Resident Evil Final Chapter was actually still in theaters. Uh, James Wan, who's responsible for uh, The Conjuring, he expressed interest in the project and it looked like that he may in fact direct it. And I thought, oh, this would be a good guy to do this. Even though I'm not a big fan of The Conjuring films, I can appreciate the fact of how hauntingly creepy they are just from the trailers alone. So I thought, okay. This will be a film that will be already scary just based upon who they're hiring as director. Now, unfortunately, James Wan didn't stay on board. But um, in December of 2018, it was announced that uh, Johannes Roberts, who brought us uh, uh, the Meters Down films, uh, 47 Meters Down films, which I thought those films were pretty well done. Um, I enjoyed those films. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them full-on creepy in any sort, uh, shape or form, but they they worked. They, they worked uh, for what they were trying to accomplish. So they brought him on to write and direct the film. James Wan then confirmed the same month that he was no longer involved in the project. And then all of his uh, involvement was too early. Basically, they jumped the gun on that, and he actually went on to produce Mortal Kombat. This is all according to Wikipedia. So there's an interview here in March of 2021 with IGN where Johannes Roberts said he wanted to give the film a darker tone. He went on to say, and I quote, The big thing for me in this film is the tone. What I loved about the games was that they were just scary, and that's a lot of what I wanted, that atmosphere. It's raining constantly. It's dark. It's scary. Raccoon City is a rotten character. I wanted to put it in the mix and mix it with the fun side, especially with the narrative style of the first game. We had a lot of fun. We even used the fixed angles that the first game has when the characters are at the Spencer Mansion, end of quote. See, when I read that, I remember reading that back in March, and I was relieved that it seemed like we had a director that understood the games and wanted to capture as much of what the games were. And that seems to be the biggest problem today with a lot of video game adaptation films. They always seem to bring on these directors or writers that don't know the game at all they never played it they never experienced it and instead of following that they bring their own flavor to it and just kind of base things off of what they probably read online of the games and that's a huge problem because if you're doing going to do a, a faithful film adaptation you have to follow the source material to a degree you can do different things with it that's the one thing that uh paul anderson made a mistake with i think with the resident evil films with mila joevich he had the right idea of adding in a new character and going in a direction that wasn't predictable, yes. But at the same time, he diverted so far away from what the games were that he ended up making a totally different film out of it that although, like I've said, entertaining, it just didn't follow the games and wasn't faithful. Um, the film, this film here is inspired by john carpenter's halloween assault on precinct 13 and the fog and by seeing it i can see exactly what they're what they're talking about here so director paul ws anderson Mila jovovich they um they did the first first six films this is a full reboot by the way this is this has no connection to those films at all um Johannes Roberts said that he very much enjoyed Paul Anderson's first film. Um, but he did emphasize that this version has nothing to do with the series that preceded, which I'm I'm glad that it did, because to me there was no way for them to make a true, faithful adaptation of this and still keep the other films in in continuity. Um so yeah, the story of this is very much that this film went into production right away. Uh didn't take long. I mean, we're talking only about four years after the final chapter, uh, and this film went three years after going into production. Three years after the final chapter, so uh, let me give you the plot summary according to Wikipedia. Uh, like I've always said before, uh, with our previous "One Night in Soho" or "Last Night in Soho" podcast, uh, this plot description is going to spoil the whole movie. So if you are listening and you don't want this movie spoiled, skip over this or close your ears right now because I'm going to spoil the whole movie in this plot synopsis description. So. Here we go. In a flashback, Claire and Chris Redfield are children that are living in the Raccoon City Orphanage. Claire meets and befriends Lisa Trevor, a girl who has been experimented on by Dr. William Birkin, an employee for the Umbrella Corporation, who oversees the orphanage and takes children for his own experimental research. Later, Birkin takes Claire to experiment on her, her, who escapes. Flash forward to 1998. Adult Claire returns to Raccoon City, hitchhiking in a semi-truck. While distracted, the truck driver hits a woman who is walking in the road. When Claire and the driver investigate, the woman disappears, leaving only a pool of blood behind. The truck driver's Doberman licks the blood and, over time, begins to foam at the mouth and becomes erratic. Meanwhile, Leon S. Kennedy, a rookie police officer, wakes up for his first day with the Raccoon City Police Department. He goes to the town's diner where he falls asleep at the counter. Jill Valentine and Albert Wesker, who are also at the diner, wake Leanne up as they leave. Leanne notices that the diner's owner has blood coming from her eyes when a deformed crow crashes into the window. Claire heads to Chris's home where she picks the lock with her knife and enters. Chris comes downstairs en route to the police station and Claire explains that she returned to Raccoon City to warn Chris about the Umbrella Corporation. She explains that she has contacted... Conspiracy theorist Ben Bertolucci who claims that Umbrella has earnestly poisoned the city's water. Meanwhile, a siren goes off informing citizens to stay in their homes. Chris leaves for the police station while Claire steals his motorbike. Before Claire leaves a child breaks into the house running from his mother. Before Claire leaves, sorry, before Claire leaves, a child breaks into the house running from his mother. Both have severe hair loss, are erratic and bloody. At the police station, the Star's Alpha Team meet Chief Brian Irons to discuss the recent events. Irons explains he doesn't know what is going on, but that Bravo Team is missing while investigating a death at the Spencer Mansion. Alpha Team is sent to the mansion to see what has happened. At the meeting, an unknown person pages Wesker to check his locker, which contains a PDA with instructions on it. Traveling in a helicopter, the Star's Team find Bravo Team's police car and follow tracks to the mansion. Inside, the team splits up with Wesker and Jill going upstairs. There, Wesker secretly follows the map on his PDA and enters a secret code on a piano revealing a secret message. Jill then sees their helicopter crashing into the mansion after pilot Brad Vickers gets bitten by a zombie. Afterwards, Wesker reveals that he has been hired to reveal secrets of Umbrella and will use the secret passage to steal Dr. Birkin's virus. Wesker saves Jill from a zombie before leaving the team, Meanwhile, Chris and Richard Aiken encounter zombies eating the bodies of Bravo Team. Richard is eaten while Chris battles the Horde, with Jill ultimately saving him. The pair flee the zombies, following Wesker into the secret passage. Leon is asleep at the front desk of the police station when the truck driver, now bitten by his dog, begins to turn into a zombie and crashes his truck at the entrance of the station. Chief Irons shoots the aflame zombie, awakening Leon, then announces he is leaving, putting Leon in charge. Irons travels out of the city, but is stopped by Umbrella Guards who shoot civilians who are trying to escape the city. Returning to the station, Irons is attacked by a zombie dog, but Claire rescues him. Claire and Leon go down to the armory to secure supplies, while Leon encounters Ben Bertolucci, who is imprisoned. Ben steals Leon's gun, but a zombie inmate bites him before he's able to escape his cell. Leon, Claire, and Irons then abandon the police station and travel to the orphanage, looking for a secret Umbrella Tunnel in the building. While there, they encounter a Licker, which kills Irons, but Leon is saved by Lisa Trevor, who recognizes Claire and gives them the keys to the secret passage. Wesker, traveling through the passage, encounters Dr. Birkin, who is in the midst of securing his life's work. Birkin reaches for his gun, shooting Wesker in the chest before Wesker shoots Birkin, nearly killing him. Birkin's wife Annette then grabs the gun, but Wesker shoots her as well, and she dies. Then, Birkin's daughter Sherry grabs the gun. Wesker hesitates to pull the trigger before being shot by Jill. Chris rushes to Sherry and finds that William has injected himself with the G-Virus. Chris and Jill run from Birkin, who begins to mutate. Claire and Leon then shoot Birkin, letting the five survivors escape to the underground train. The train is stopped when Raccoon City begins to be destroyed, allowing a fully mutated Birkin to attack the train. Leon shoots and kills him with a rocket launcher. In a mid credit scene, Wesker awakens in a body bag, unable to see anything. A figure then hands him sunglasses reveals herself to be Ada Wong, as are credits, rolled across the screen okay so there was a lot there um let me first get into the fact that right away when this film opens we are treated to um we are treated to quite the different opening from what we're used to with the previous films the score is already pretty haunting um and we open in on the orphanage where uh, young Claire and Chris are gone because their parents were killed, I believe, in a car crash. Immediately, I'm intrigued because already this film is jumping into the creepiness and the scariness of the games compared to what we've seen before. And the Lisa Trevor character, I don't really remember Lisa Trevor too much from the games. Um, it's, like I said before, um, Well, not like I said before, but I haven't played the first game in a very long time. Um, My my most recent Resident Evil gaming is the Resident Evil 2 and 3 uh, remakes, and then Resident Evil Village. So I don't really remember Lisa Trevor or what she is or why she's there, but um, I'm already intrigued by who she is in this opening and, and why she's there and why she's creeping around with nobody else really seeing her except for young Claire. Um... So I'm already I'm ready on board with this with this creepy score that's going on in the background. Now I'm very happy about one actor being in this movie particularly. And that is Neil McDonough Donahue, I'm sorry, Neil McDonahu as Dr. William Birkin. Anything he usually is in, he brings his A game and he plays a villain, the bad guy, so well in everything he's done. I, I remember the first thing that I ever saw him in, and that was uh, Star Trek First Contact. And I don't know if you Trekkies remember that, but he played Lieutenant Hawk. And I I am just... Everything he's done from Minority Report to, to Walking Tall, I just... I like when he plays a villain the best. I mean, he's good in everything. He even played on the show Suits that I really enjoyed. Um, but whenever he's playing the bad guy, he is automatically the guy that just... He just carries the films. I mean, even if you've seen Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, a film that he is surprisingly the villain in, the movie that he's even surprisingly in, period, even there, I mean, he just... He brings his A-game even when he has a script that's just not flat-out good. And... I was excited to hear when he was casted in this film to begin with. And I just I just like what he does. So we see him, and you can already tell that he's up to something based on the looks on his face and the way he's talking. He just comes off as very creepy as Birkin. So when we jump to 1998 and we see um, Adult Claire, which is played by uh, Kaya Scott, Scott Oladario who played in the Maze Runner films, if, if you know, but she also played in a Netflix series, and, and uh, a couple years ago that film uh, Crawl with the Alligators, which I really much enjoyed that film, and she was actually really great in that film. Um, she, uh, the one thing I was watching closely while watching this is I wanted to see how much these actors embodied the, the counterparts from the game. She would definitely was one that I definitely saw her playing a good Claire, and and I and I was impressed by her. Uh, Claire was previously played by Allie Larder in the Mila Jovovich films. I believe she played in the third film, Extinction. She was also in Afterlife. I don't remember if she was actually even in Retribution, but she was in the final chapter. Uh, but again, that was a more adult, adult uh, Claire Redfield. And if I had to look at at, at Kaya Scoladario here and kind of envision her as a young version of Allie Larder's Claire Redfield, even though they're not connected, I could see it. I could see it very much so. You know, this Claire here is very much, I think, younger, a younger version compared to what we've seen in the games, even even more so than in the first game. I think the first game, she's a little bit older than what she is here. But I like what 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 uh, Scaladario is doing here with the character. I like that um, she's tough, she's a hard-ass, and she has a goal. So... I liked her, so she definitely gets my approval here. Um, Robbie Amell as Chris Redfield. Uh, I, I liked him as well. I'd like to see him grow into the role more. Um, the Chris Redfield that I know, that I've seen recently, of course, was in Resident Evil Village and how much of a badass he is and a hard-ass. So I'll be curious to see if he, if we see sequels to this film, if he'll continue to get a little tougher like you know he does in future game sequels. Um, Tom Hopper is Albert Wesker. I think that he embodies Wesker very well, even though we don't get to see the villain Wesker really here yet like we uh, like we even got a chance to see in the other films, I can definitely see him being a good Wesker going forward. and I'm really hoping we're gonna get a chance to see him actually play the Wesker that we all know and love from the uh, from the game series uh Avin Jagoria J- Jogia as Leon Kennedy he this is the one this is the one move in this film that they made from the games that I I can kind of understand why people complain about they made Leon Kennedy in this film more of a of a chicken shit doesn't know what he's doing as a cop whereas in the games it was the other way and I don't really know why they made this choice here to do this with his character um So I'm not going to say I'm 100% on board with his Leon Kennedy yet. I I need to see more of him, and I'm hoping that if we get to see sequels that they continue to develop him in a way to make him tougher like the games, because right now he is not that. Even by the end of this film, I don't consider him to be the hard-ass that we know from the games, even though he has a a sequence where he fires the rocket launcher and and kills the, the Birkin monster. To me, I don't know if that's their way of showing him as a badass, because I'm not buying that yet, so... We will see if that continues with him. Uh, Donald Logue from from Grounded for Life and a lot of other stuff plays Chief Brian Irons. I liked his character a lot. He's funny. He's humorous. I think he's a bit of a moron to be chief of police, but he definitely is the film's comedic relief, and uh, this film definitely has a comedy in it. Um, It's not overblown or overdone, but he definitely steals the film in those lighter moments that uh, he was a nice addition uh, to the film. Um, we, we talked about Neil McDonough as William Birkin. He does an excellent job. Uh, great villain, as always. Um, but the one thing I really want to talk about here is uh, Hannah John-Kamen as Jill Valentine. Um, you'll know her from that uh, that Sci-Fi Channel series that she was on. I don't remember the name of it. Um, she's playing a couple other things. I am I thought Sienna Glory as Jill Valentine in Apocalypse and uh, a couple of the later films in the Jovovich ones... I liked what Sienna Glory was doing. Uh, she looked good in the costume. Uh, she looked hot in the costume. I'm going to say it for what it is, um, and she just embodied the role of Jill Valentine. I thought very well, especially in Apocalypse. I I, I bought it. I I think that 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 she, uh, in a way, it was it was almost like role playing, um, cosplay in that film for for Sienna Glory. She just was the perfect way. The only other person that I could have saw playing Jill Valentine around that time, was uh, was uh, Julia Voth, who she's uh, she's from the film uh, Bitch Slap. She, uh, she did some cosplay uh, photos of, of herself in a Jill Valentine costume, and she looked like she would have fit the role very well, too. How she would have acted in the role, I don't know, but she would have looked the part. So here, even though Hannah Jan came in as a good actress, I just didn't see her as Jill Valentine. To me, she's not the Jill Valentine that I know and remember from the games or even the Mila Jovovich films. So this was a little disappointing for me. Um, even by the end of this film, I was not feeling her as Jill Valentine. On top of it all, I don't think she's given enough to do, considering that Jill Valentine is supposed to be a front and center character, especially later. Now, again, with if there's sequels to these films, that might, in fact, change. She might grow into the part, much like uh, the Leon Kennedy, Avin Jagoria. You know, though that might change. But I'm, in this film, I'm not really buying it, and I was a little disappointed by her Jill Valentine in this uh but i want to get to the point of the atmosphere in this movie this movie is very dark now at my screening last night uh the film appeared to be really really dark and i think that it was a projection problem uh because i've seen the trailers on my computer on the tv and my phone and the film didn't look this dark in the trailers that i watched on my devices so I think this might have been a projection problem. And I was able to make out everything okay, but it was really, really dark. And I'm hoping that it was a projection problem, because if it's not, then this film is way too dark. But I am I am 100% certain that this probably was a projection problem. It just seemed like it was. So, um, but yeah, the uh, the cinematography is, is very much in line with the games, I think. You can definitely tell that attention was paid to each individual shot and what they were doing. Um... Some people have complained in a lot of reviews as well that the film felt cheaper. Like, it didn't feel like it was up to par as far as financially to where uh, the original first Resident Evil film was. And I can agree with that. Um, I think some of the shot choices is is for money purposes. For instance, when when Chief Irons is going to get out of the city of Raccoon City... You know, this whole scene is shot inside of his car. Now, mind you, this could be a, a directorial choice to film it this way to give it a different look. But it just felt as though, like, the camera never comes out of the car because, you know, we don't have a big grand set around him. We just have a wall and some and a, and a couple soldiers. You'll even find moments where we don't see a whole lot of extras either. You can definitely see where there was pennies counted on this film. Um, the budget is, they're saying, is around $25 million. To me, it feels like it could be a little less than that. Uh, And there are many moments throughout the film, too, where I could kind of tell like they were trying to save some money, it felt like. uh, Some of the action sequences, some of the city shots. uh, This very much feels like a smaller, I don't want to say B-movie, because this is not a B-movie, but there are are times that in the film it feels as though it's kind of going into B-movie-ish territory. And it's not totally a bad thing. I think Resident Evil kind of benefits from the fact that it has that B-movie-ish kind of horror vibe because, in a way, even the game kind of comes off that way, and that's not a knock at all. That's actually a compliment to it because it doesn't need the big, grand visual effects spectacle in order to make it work. And that's one thing I think this film, uh, it, it stays grounded. It doesn't feel like it goes too crazy with the special effects other than when we get to the Birkin monster and then, of course, to the one liquor that we see later. Um, it's very much looks like a lot of it was shot in camera for a lot of things um, but uh, minus that uh, there are there are many times throughout the film where there were certain things I wanted to see more of um, the Spencer Mansion being one of them I think the one mistake this film makes is that it wanted to combine the first and second games and push them all into one movie, and this movie only runs 107 one hundred and seven minutes, an hour 47, probably like an hour 40, 41 uh, without credits, so the film has a lot to do in a very small amount of time, and it just felt as though that maybe they should have just focused this film on the mansion aspect, and they could have uh, made the mansion a little bit bigger, they could have, you know, done different things that were a little bit more mysterious, and I think that the film could have taken its time there and then made the second film focus on the police station and such from uh, that. Matter of fact, the they probably in this film could have made it where the first film was just all stuff from the first game in the mansion. And then if they made a second film, then they could have combined Resident Evil 2 and 3. And I think that would have actually worked as a good combination compared to doing 1 and 2 together. Um, but... And that and that and that here kind of creates some pacing issues. There are times when the film does feel like it moves a little slow uh, near the uh, end of the first to beginning second act, uh, and and that comes from the problem of mixing in the aspects from the second game into the first. If we just followed the mansion storyline, I don't think the uh, the pacing would have been as big of an issue around that point. But. That, it really is my only biggest knock against this, that that's the one thing I think that could have changed, that could have actually improved the film. We also heard from the director that uh, Mr. X, uh, they did, I guess, shoot some scenes, because actually in the credits last night I did see that there was Mr. X uh, credits about people putting stuff together from the crew, but of course it didn't show up in this film. Uh, he said he cut the cut it because he felt like it was too much and felt like that it didn't really benefit the plot, and it just felt unneeded. I'm hoping that we're gonna see uh the, the deleted scenes at least of that. Maybe a finished deleted scene of that on, on the on the Blu-ray. Uh maybe even a potential uh extended cut might be on the Blu-ray, I could see too as well. Uh I'd be curious to see if there's other scenes that were cut that might have actually added a little bit to the film. Uh 'cause there's certain points where I felt like the film could have had a little things added. Uh the third act is a little weird. This is not. This film doesn't have a typical third act that you're used to in a lot of films like this. The final set pieces are not big. They're not grand. Uh, even like the, the the boss battle with Birkin, it's very short. It's very brief, and it's not like overly done for like this big spectacle like we get in a lot of films with a huge third act exit. Um, so it was kind of surprising that just this, that, that this third act was. Uh, as quick as it was as not over the top as it as we're used to. Um, and I don't know if that's just because we got to a point where we didn't know what else to do or uh, I, I think it had to do with with money. again, I think that they didn't have the, the money to really you know make Burkin you know go crazy and go in all these different rooms and tear stuff down. They didn't have the budget for that. So I think they had to make things smaller than what they probably really would have wanted to do. Uh, but for the most part, uh, minus some pacing issues in that third act, I, I, I was entertained. I was intrigued. Uh, the, the story, I mean, if you know the games, you know the story of 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 the of the series. So you're not gonna go into this movie, you know, not knowing the direction it's gonna go in. You've you've played the games, you know what direction the movie's going in. So you're not really surprised by too much. The film doesn't add any huge twists or turns that if you've played the games that you don't know. Uh, if you've never played the games uh, then you won't know this story. Uh, e- even if you've seen the previous films, I mean, this is kind of going in a little bit of a different direction, even though there's a lot of similarities. But the biggest gripe that a lot of people have had as well is that if you've never played the games, will you enjoy this movie? And eh, that's a tough question. Uh, when when me and my when when me and my buddy Martin were seeing this last night, you know, we were able to kind of joke and thing during the film because we knew a lot of these things from the games, especially when we saw Ada Wong at the end. You know, we knew who she was. We knew when Wesker put on the glasses and couldn't see, puts the glasses on and becomes that guy. We know all this stuff. And this is what makes it intriguing and a big question, Mark, is that the studio I think didn't they're not they're not here they're not catering to the to the overall uh, Big audience. You know, they're not making a film here that's going to cater to an outside audience. This film, I believe, is really made for the fans of the game, and really the fans of the game only. I think that's the only ones that are going to appreciate what's been done here. They're going to appreciate the characters and the story. Uh, this is just not a film where you come into not really knowing the Resident Evil story and you're going to enjoy it. I think that the casual the casual moviegoer is probably going to watch this and probably just go, eh, this is just okay, I don't understand it all, blah, 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 and that's understandable, but this film at the end of the day is not made for the casual moviegoer, this is made for the game fans, or even fans of the previous films, I'll even say too, you don't have to have played a game, if you've at least seen the other films and you know the story, the same thing could be applied, but there's a lot of easter eggs and a lot of references and a lot of items and, and sets and, and places that are shown in this film that only people that played the games are going to know about that. They're going to be able to appreciate what Johannes Roberts was doing here. Uh, so I guess in 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 conclusion here, I don't want to I don't want to break down this film piece by piece by piece because I don't. I, I, if you have not seen the film uh, or plan on seeing the film, I want you to go into it not knowing everything. Uh, if, if you avoided my plot description summary, uh, you should be able to uh, enjoy it without knowing too much. Uh, but in the big grand scheme of things, uh, what the film does well is uh, captures the, the games very well. Um, probably one of the uh, probably one of the best video game adaptations that's very loyal to a game, which I'm very happy and excited about uh, going forward if this continues. Um, the acting here is all pretty good across the board. Uh, none of the acting comes off as bad. They're all pretty good actors that are in this film. Uh, if, if any line comes off as a little bit too much, it's more so in the writing of the script than, than the actors playing the part. I'll also t- say too, there were a lot of F-bombs in this film that probably didn't need to be there. Uh, a little overboard at times, and there's a lot of emphasis on the word fuck a lot sometimes too, and I don't really know what why the decision was there for that, but uh, could have done without that so much, uh, that was overblown, but I don't fault it for that, it does what it does, but it definitely something that wasn't needed as much as it was in the film, um, but the set design was cool, the atmosphere was really cool, uh, the score was very haunting, uh, I felt that it was very much in line with the games, and definitely a far cry from the scores that we got in the other Resident Evil films, even though those were also fantastic, and definitely fit those films, um, so, and the only negatives is the pacing sometimes is an issue. Sometimes things feel a little bit cheap or done on a budget. And sometimes it, it stands out as very obvious, especially for me. Um, you know, because I make films, independent films. So I know when you're sometimes trying to avoid, uh, going big with something to save some money or you're trying to not make things look cheap. So I definitely, definitely stood out to me at those points at times. And then, um, the third act was definitely not as big as I thought it would be. So, uh, on a grand scheme of things, I'll probably give this film, as of right now, we're probably going around a 7 to 7.5 out of 10. Uh, right now, it's hard for me to say if this is truly better than the Mila Jovovich, especially first film right now, because I've seen that film so many times and I like it. So for me to immediately say, oh, this is better than that, I'm not going to say that yet because I've seen that other film way too many times to, to, to immediately just to do that. And it's not fair to this film either because if I've seen this film as many times as that film, that might change. But I found myself liking this film and I like in the direction it was going. Uh, and I think this film may improve with repeat viewings and I think it might also improve if we get sequels. Something to build off of here. So I'll give it the the seven to seven and a half out of ten right now, uh, with the possibility of the, the score going up in time. Uh, and and the, and the last bit of bit note of, or last note here I want to bring up is I'm hoping that a sequel to this film gets made, but I am doubtful that it will, and I'll explain to you why. Because number one. The film wasn't advertised very much. There was only one trailer, and I think the trailer came out just about a month before the film was released. Um, I don't remember really seeing the posters too much in in the theater. I think I finally saw a couple posters in my local theater, you know, about three, four weeks before the movie came out. Uh, I really didn't see a trailer for it in the theater with any movies I saw before this, so that also hurts. Um, I don't know if a lot of people even knew this film was coming. So... In the United States and Canada, uh, this was released alongside House of Gucci and the Pixar movie Encantio. The film is projected to gross around 8 to $10 million from 2,800 theaters in its opening weekend. It made 935000 from Tuesday night previews. So, I mean, I don't know what the number is going to be for this film in order for it to be considered a success to greenlight a sequel, uh, considering the budget's only 25 mil, um... I would say it probably has to make anywhere between forty and fifty to at least have uh, garnered a profit and make it worth making another one for. And this feels like a film that might do better overseas, especially in in China or Japan. Uh, I'm hoping the sequel comes. Will it come? I don't know. Um, I have hope because I'd like to see where they continue on from here. Um, the critic scores were around twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Only thirty one reviews. That's around sixty to sixty two percent of the fan ratings. Um, I read some, some decently positive reviews saying, you know, it was very loyal to the games and such like that. And it was, Um, but I also saw some of the negative points too. And that was, you know, with, with some of the saving the money, like I said, and, uh, and the, the third act being, you know, whatever. So I, I get the gripes, but I also get the, the positive notes here. Cause a lot of the positive notes are my positive notes. And I think I appreciate the film more because I'm a, I'm the game fan of, of this series. So maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a game fan here so I'm giving it more positive review. But that's why I've warned you that if you do not appreciate have not played or don't care for the Resident Evil, you know, game franchise or the previous movies, then you're not going to enjoy this. So don't bother going into it thinking that, you know, you you are and then you're going to come out saying I hate it. I hate it. Well, of course you're not going to like it cuz you didn't like the previous things. But if you liked if you love the games, you're going to love this film because it's true and faithful. If you liked the previous Resident Evil films, I think you'll also like this film as well. So I recommend it. Go check it out. Support your local theaters. It's very important. This film is only playing exclusively in movie theaters, and I'm glad that it is because our movie theaters, they need to stay in business. I I like streaming. I like watching movies at home. Don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, the theater experience cannot be topped. It cannot be beaten, and it cannot go away. So please go see this in the theater. Support your local theater. Support the the movie theater business to make sure that these films stay in theaters and that we don't just go to streaming because streaming is not the future for this, ladies and gentlemen. Movie theaters need to stay in business because anytime I see a movie at home anymore uh, for the first time, especially during COVID last year, it did not compare and I did not have the same experience. So please go support your local theater, your local economy, and the movie theater business because we need these things to stay intact. So thanks for joining me uh, today and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, If you're not listening to this on Thanksgiving today, uh, then happy belated Thanksgiving. Uh, Hope everybody uh, stays safe and uh, stays COVID free and stays out of trouble and stays healthy. And uh, check out this film and and, and do that, uh, especially on Black Friday. You go see a movie after you do your Black Friday shopping, go check this out. It's good entertainment. So coming up, Uh, We have the rest of the crew coming back. We're also excited that Martin Houston will be joining the crew. Uh, Very excited to have him on board as we're going to begin our Supernatural series retrospective. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to break down all 15 seasons of the show. Uh, We're going to do four episodes of of that retrospective, uh, covering three seasons on each episode because... There's just too much to talk about with this series to really fit it into one or two episodes. We'll be doing four episodes with three seasons apiece, and we'll be breaking down the series. Uh, I know all of us that are doing it are fans of the show, so it will be a very positive podcast, but a lot of cool things to talk about, and uh, especially the, uh, the controversial ending to the series, which I think we all of, uh, all of us have our, our viewpoints on that and what could have been improved upon and uh, why it worked and why it didn't work. So make sure to check us out for that. That should be coming at you next month in December, along with other films uh, we'll be doing podcasts on as well, you know, the one-offs uh, that come out in the theaters, and also be on the lookout too. Uh, you know, The Matrix Resurrections is coming out next month, and we'll definitely be doing a episode on that because we did our Matrix retrospective, so we have to continue that and break down the newest chapter to see where it's going to go and what the future of the franchise may or may not be. So check us out for that as well. That'll be coming at you also in December, probably in between one of the uh, Supernatural Retrospective episodes. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And we will see you on the Supernatural Retrospective next month. That's a wrap. Cut and print. On our next podcast, we begin our Supernatural Retrospective as we break down all 15 seasons of the Critically Acclaimed series. Read more of our reviews and listen to all of our podcasts. Go to LCAreviews.com. Subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.